Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who were a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We were just clapping together, you and me. Yeah. Clapping on the ones and the threes <laughs> and the twos, because that, that's how you do a sync clap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we clap on the ones, the twos, the threes, but not the fours. Never the fours. No. Nope. <laughs> it's not us. That's not how I like to dance. Would never. I don't like to dance at all. You don't like to dance? But you do. You're a great dancer. You've you've got dance bravery that I just don't possess. Uh, it's it's fun to cut a rug, you know? Some of the best fun to be had is just letting it all loose. You know what? That sounded like a cutting thing to say to you, and that's not how I meant it. Like, boy, you're so brave for dancing out there like you do. Like, <laughs> a real inspiration. You really do dance like nobody's watching. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't care how that comes across. Man, I wish I could care a little less about people thinking that uh, I'm a terrible dancer. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't even know when I'm hurting people anymore. Yeah. Quad box apology. Get it ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just on the launch pad at all times. How's your day going, Ben? Mm, going all right. We are uh, <laughs> we were supposed to record this one yesterday, but yesterday we also recorded that drunk episode. And right. I think everybody appreciates that we didn't just roll into another one right after whatever that was. I'm excited to hear that episode because I feel like we got drunk and mean at the episode in a way that may be unusual. <laughs> Uh, we weren't that mean. Come on. I'm, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's great. We're not mean drunks. I'm not. I'm I'm a sleepy, bubbly drunk. Yeah. That, that's me. Yeah. I'm a get friends of DeSoto concerned for my safety drunk. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> is that how it is? Oh, are you referring to Sketchfest? Yeah. <laughs> Have we told anything about that story on the show? We we wound up at a tiki bar after our show at Sketchfest, and uh, I really turned out. And uh, apparently, some of the friends of ours that, that tagged along were worried that I was dangerously intoxicated. I, on the one hand, like, I'm glad people care. But on the other hand, like, you don't see anyone, like, shooting free throws with Michael Jordan going, boy... He's way too good at basketball or whatever. Like to me, this is just like someone who hasn't been around you at a tiki bar might think that uh, that there's something to be concerned about. But no, this is Ben at a tiki bar is a professional. Many would say that that's when I'm the most in control, much like <laughs> Michael Jordan on a court. I mean, barrel drinks at uh, Smuggler's Cove are no joke. No. And you got to be careful with the barrel drinks. And luckily, you're a barrel drink professional. I, I knew you were fine. Yeah, Who's like, going to know better than me? I heard about that the next day that some concerns had been voiced. And I was like more confused than anything. Because you were blacked out. You didn't hear him that night. <laughs> you didn't hear the whispering. I've never, I've never actually blacked out. <laughs> Well, good for you. That I know of. <laughs> I mean, would you even remember? Yeah, exactly. No, I uh, I don't think that they were being voiced to me is the thing. 
but yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's part of what made it uh, uncomfortable for me was was like the constantly telling people that you're fine mm-hmm. on your behalf. Like, yeah. Like, and then the camera pans over to me, just having a great time. And the other, look, look at look at him. He's clearly fine. To get serious for a moment. Uh oh. I will say this: if you're concerned about someone. Tell them. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you doing telling me for? What am I going to do that you're not going to do? You know? Yeah. Just tell me. I'll, I'm I, I'm not going to react badly. I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. Everything's fine. Your drinking's fine. My drinking's fine. Yeah. Smuggler's Cove, very fine. Yeah, it's a good bar. Was that twice that we went to the Cove during Sketchfest? I feel like it once is never enough. Yeah, we. I think we did go twice. No, wait. What, was, we... what was unfortunate was that, uh, what's the other place in the hotel with the floating barge with the band on it? You're thinking of the Tonga Room, which we didn't Tonga get Room to. Tonga Room was closed when we were there. And yeah. That was a great disappointment. Yeah, and we also wanted to go to that one that's like in the fuselage of a crashed plane in the jungle. Is the theme of the yeah. tiki bar, and that uh, that was also closed the night that we thought to go there. So that just combines too many things that I love. <laughs> we were in Vegas for a thing, and there was like a crashed fuselage in a in a parking lot of a thing that we were at, and I just got all up in that thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I was not supposed to do that. I was not allowed to do that. But I'd been drinking. There were chains around it, and the <laughs> sign that specifically forbade going inside. I want to go into planes. I think the one thing that I want to do, like the bucket list plane thing right now that I really want to do is go to a boneyard and get all up in some dead planes. Oh, man. I want to walk around those dusty ass planes. I got to do that once on a job, like back when I was a pro video producer, and I've been chasing that fucking dragon ever since. Yeah, I went to a boneyard in uh, Mojave, which was really, really cool. I didn't get to go in, though. Yeah. The planes were all closed. A dead plane is a dangerous plane. You got to watch out. Hmm. Why? Because it could, like, start and fly off at any moment? (laughs) (laughs) When you leave the doors open, all manner of of critter, desert critter, gets inside a dead plane. Yeah. You know? They want to smell those farts that have been there since it was in service. There's a desert plane on a set I was at uh, that was full of snakes, they said. (laughs) <laughs> like the uh, the DB Cooper ladder was down on the back of the 727. Uh-huh. And they're like, yeah, you can go up in it, but I wouldn't advise it. It's snake season. <laughs> and snake season superseded my interest in going on a dead plane. I didn't do it. I was wow. afraid of snakes. Yeah. Like I'm fine with snakes in a zoo where somebody can be like, this is a safe snake and then hand it to <laughs> me or whatever. But uh, But like rogue snake on a plane... That sounds terrifying. I was on Hollywood Boulevard last week and uh, walked past snake handlers there. It's not just Spiders Men and Jimmy Kimmel Show or whatever. It is people walking around with snakes. Were they snake handlers in the sense of like they had an extreme devotion to their faith that they believe protected them from the snakes? Or were they just like a weird guy with a boa constrictor? Two weird guys and two weird snakes Okay, <laughs> was what they were. You could like pay to get your picture with the snake? I guess so. 
this is the snake that worked with Britney Spears in that one music video. I would take a picture with that snake. Yeah. Do you think that snake's still alive? I think that that snake is retired in the valley and uh, Eddie from Fraser is his roommate. That snake is not only alive, but it's still very horny from the experience. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? Yeah. I mean, I still am. And I had a very different experience from that snake. <laughs> ben, we're talking about boneyards, but what I really want to be talking about is shipyards. Yeah. From the beginning of this episode, we need to discuss. You want to get into it? That's a nice pivot, Adam. That's a mission log grade mm-hmm. pivot. I know. And you can tell your personal friend, John Champion, that you made it. <laughs> Please like me. I pivot. I pivot. <laughs> it's Star Trek Voyager Season 5, Episode 22, Relativity. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Boy, oh boy, this slow panning shot Mm. over the Utopia Planitia shipyards. While people are alive working there, easy to forget that at one point this is a functional shipyard with living people on it. Yeah. Mars is still on fire. Yeah. After what happened to it. I know. But this is a a happier, simpler past. You know, a golden age, some might say. Yo, F8. You get into any trouble last night? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I read a very fun thing about this sequence, which is that the visual effects people worked on this from love and not scope. You know, like they were told, give me a couple of seconds at the shipyard and make it look awesome. Yeah. And the artists at Foundation Imaging were like, well, we're not going to just make a couple seconds. We're going to do like a whole sequence and you're going to use two seconds of it. <laughs> and that's what they did. They're they're making all these cool ships, and all the ships have something to do there. And it's a it's a very complex sequence that they did. And the only tragedy is like, yeah, like we're the only ones that have the super high resolution glory shots. Wow. And uh, all you got on TV, on the UPN or whatever, <laughs> is two seconds of what's basically Star Trek scrambled porn. Yeah, yeah. It's great. You see uh, all different kinds of space docks. Like you see the crab one that uh, we saw yeah. in a couple of episodes of TNG. We see the the kind of uh, long tubular ones that you fly out of at the beginning of your Star Trek movie. Yeah. A space dock is probably always good, right? Like it doesn't age itself out of usefulness. Yeah, I would, I would guess that... Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, they they also look very modular. So if there's like a part that yeah. is like no longer useful in constructing these new classes of ships, you could you could swap it out probably. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Voyager. Yeah. And we see Voyager like kind of not battleship gray, kind of uh, kind of lighter colored than we see her in service, right? Yeah. Was that the lighting, or was that that it just hadn't had its uh, final coat of paint yet? That's just like the primer before they spray it down. Great question. You know, there's like a version of a starship model, like of all kinds. Like you can get Brie Belke's got like a Borgified Voyager ship model. Like I wonder if she's got the white model, <laughs> the, the primer Voyager. <laughs> That's got to be a thing. I'm finna paint it money green when I get paid. But for now, it's just covered <laughs> with primer. And uh, <laughs> she beams aboard. And uh, Did I hear that track in your car the other day? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
she beams aboard and uh, and meets um, an admiral who's going to walk her through her new ship. Kind of a grand admiral, if you ask me. Yeah. You know, a real white hair. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's going for the same thing that Captain Riker of later eras is going for, but Captain Riker yeah. is hitting it way harder. <laughs> you know? Tell me what you mean by that. Like, he's got kind of the same haircut and the same white beard, but like... I don't know. It just doesn't look as good as him, on him as it does on Riker. Yeah, I mean... That's not a slam on him. Riker never stops being a stick man, and I think Admiral Patterson kind of wound that down 20 <laughs> years previously. Yeah. That's like a, a trinket on his desk now, is, a, is his captain's stick. He's got a dick and cock duck. Yeah. <laughs> Admiral Patterson sort of reminded me of Bunny Colvin from The Wire. He's always like springing a question on you if you're under him in the chain of command to kind of make sure you're staying sharp on all four corners. He demands something of Bun Edition Janeway, who uh, is just about to take command of this starship and starts giving her the grand tour. Yeah, it's Bun and Bunny, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Was Bunny the one that always asked where North was and where and what address you were at at a given time? Yeah, right. So that if you're like calling something in on the radio, you don't have to stop and think about it. I never forgot that. I thought that yeah. was really cool. I mean, it didn't inspire me to do it, but I think about doing it. And that's enough, right? Yeah. Admiral Patterson, unfortunately, was forced into early retirement because he tried to make sort of a, you know, liberalized zone for selling suck disc games at a Starfleet <laughs> installation that he was in charge of. He's legalized drugs. Yeah. The suck disc injection zones. Yeah. Very yeah. unpopular. Yeah. He, he was he was trying like a harm reduction thing by like sort of decriminalizing it, but he didn't really have the authority to de- decriminalize it. And when the paper got a hold of that, woof. A lot of confidence in Dakin Matthews' performance here to introduce him as like maybe not a fun kind of admiral with a bunch of questions. But Janeway and he get along really well. Janeway is sort of his his favorite student. There's that kind of energy to it. Yeah, there's a real teacher-student affection between them. Voyager may not be as big as a galaxy-class ship, but she's quick and smart, like a captain. She's sort of bragging on what a bookworm she's been too she's like oh yeah like i could walk this ship with my eyes closed because i know the schematics so well she's ready for this command do you think when you're a captain and you're given a command there's got to be the instinct to like boot it up in the holodeck i want to get in there now (laughs) but sort of like a saving the presents for christmas morning kind of thing like maybe a captain of a certain type is like I'm just looking at the blueprints. I want the first time I'm on that bridge to be the real time. The first time I sit this ass in that big chair, I want it to feel real to me. Yeah. I mean, if you're like buying a car, you want to test drive it, right? Like I could see wanting to be the, you know, to have the holodeck reps before I do the real thing. Yeah. Like part of it has got to be you don't want to look like a dope in front of the crew. And, like, you probably don't want to ask a dumb question about where something is. Right. You want to have that thing down cold. Oh, this computer screen flips out. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Right. They kind of do this saunter throughout the ship. They see a bunch of spots. They see corridors. They see the bridge. They see the ready room. And uh, in the ready room, Janeway helps herself to the replicator like it's hers already. Yeah. Nobody's thrown you command codes yet, Janeway. 
Just helping yourself? All right. As far as security goes, this is like an iPad without a pin on it. Like you can just go anywhere and do anything if a ship's in a shipyard, right? You've got probably need really great security there. Yeah, not just anybody gets aboard. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really liked the way the office like felt super generic with no stuff yeah. hanging on the walls, no plants, no books yet. Yeah. No pictures of Tom Mervins yet. For the clothes you love to live in. We haven't even taken the photo that I will frame. <laughs> we haven't even adopted the dog yet. We're just dating now. We aren't at photo level. <laughs> so they walk out onto the bridge. Janeway's talking about, oh, I'd like to uh, do some some stuff to the navigational sensors. I think that uh, they could be improved relative to what I've read about and as she's talking to the admiral about this the uh, the focus shifts to the ensign kneeling in the foreground and it's none other than dolphin free 7 I almost didn't recognize her it's a good like stand up into frame and like furtively look left and right before we smashed a theme song this may seem like a minor thing but if you are composing this moment in camera you must be on Jerry Ryan's left side of her face, right? This moment does not read if the shot is reversed, right. you know? Because if you don't see that there's no dolphin, you don't see that something's strange. Right. No dolphin, no strange. After the theme, Seven continues her undercover work, and she creeps into a conference room to take a personal phone call the way I used to do back when I worked <laughs> in an office. <laughs> She says, no sign of the weapon, which is something I've never said into a phone before. Uh, I don't know about you. That's uh, <laughs> that's like what ladies usually say when they get your pants off for the first time, right? <laughs> I keep digging around. Where is it? There's not a, there's not a weapon in here. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be confused for one, I guess. Mm. She has to kind of... Uh, Play it off like she's not on a personal call and go uh, pretend yeah. to be tricordering a screen when Janeway and Admiral Patterson come in and Janeway absolutely fucking slams whatever architect designed the conference room. Starfleet's most up-to-date vessel and they still can't design a comfortable place to hold a meeting. Yeah, absolutely savage is her opinion <laughs> about this. I thought it was pretty interesting that they broke the fourth wall and the camera just pans over and you start to see the edge of the set and the crew there, and all the lighting, and then just like one person who clearly like designed this set, standing there with a single <laughs> tear rolling down their cheek. Pretty rough day at the office for that person. <laughs> they really put that in the script? She didn't ad-lib that? What the hell? I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. We met up with a prop designer not too long ago who uh, worked on every Star Trek show. And the pain that he felt about being just generally ignored by big Star Trek throughout his career, by being uninvited or unwelcome to all of the big Star Trek events, you know, as a person who really like made a lot of cool shit and, uh, and knows a lot of things. Yeah, I thought about that guy when you were talking about uh, conference room designer, you know? Yeah. yeah. Seven actually gets asked a question by the captain here. You know, what do you think of the uh, conference room? She replies, it's efficient. 
Do you think she does this for Patterson's benefit? Like, I too can pop quiz my crew <laughs> the way you did me. I, I wanted her to be like, you have a strange affect about you, Ensign. Did you grow up on Vulcan or something like that, you know? <laughs> 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 I guess when you're uh, like rolling with an admiral, you have to just anticipate that ensigns are going to be a little bit uneasy when you start grilling them, right? Yeah. I was just thinking about like the Hansen expedition was so far before this moment, but like with access to time travel, no mention is made of Seven's interest in maybe going back and saving her parents from the nightmare that their lives become. <laughs> Now, She's okay. That part of her is in the past. I mean, she... She doesn't regret the trauma. She met her dronified dad and didn't even mention the idea of liberating him from the collective. Yeah. So it seems like uh, she's pretty much made peace with that. <laughs> she's writing a book. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Janeway and Patterson go down to Six Bay. They fire up the EMH so that he can be in the episode for a moment. Mm -hmm. His personality could use some work. He kind of gives some sass, and they turn him back off and then head down to engineering, where Seven meets Lieutenant Carey, who uh, it, was, it was fun to see. I've wondered, <laughs> didn't he? Like, he was, like, in competition with BLT for yeah. chief uh, engineer, right? He, he didn't ever die, did he? He's very much alive and very virile in this moment. Mm. You forget that about Lieutenant Carey. Hello? Sir. Lieutenant Carey. I don't think we've met. Jameson, Anna, service number 860790. I'm not security. He's all in on this new crew person. Yeah, I mean, he says the thing about, I'm trying to get to know all the new faces around here, and it's like, Lieutenant Carey, if you're trying to get to know the new faces, I think your eyes should be a few inches above <laughs> where they currently are resting. Yeah, those aren't faces, <laughs> Lieutenant Carey. <laughs> I think this is a demonstration of how good Seven has become at interpersonal relationships, though, because this is a pretty good blow-off by her. Yeah. A blow-off in a way that doesn't create a scene. Do you need a hand? No. She dips into a Jeffrey's tube and is crawling around scanning for temporal uh, readings on this very fancy, like, low-profile tricorder that she's got. I love this thing. And uh, she finds him. Yeah. Deck four, section 39. She pulls a panel off a wall, and we see her POV. And uh, it's interesting, because it doesn't really look like the three-quarter shot that we get of what's inside the panel. It's like she's seeing something different than what we can see. Yeah. And because it's kind of the green vision... It's like she's always wearing tinted lenses. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, she's very much the Bono of this crew. <laughs> and this device is the uh, is the titular weapon, the thing she's looking for. And she starts working on it. If Seven is working on the titular weapon, is it uh, titular weapons versus titular weapon? Mm. <laughs> yeah, if you want to go for that kind of bargain basement... <laughs> kind of humor at him, I guess. Oh, God, John Champion would be so disappointed in me. Yeah. God damn it. You, you, you started on such a high. You had a, such a great pivot at the beginning. This always happens. The more someone learns about me, the less interested they are in being friends. <laughs> <laughs> 
she starts trying to like work on this thing and it kills an EPS conduit, which is immediately noted by Lieutenant Carey. And he's like, oh, don't worry, Captain. I'll go check it out. And Janeway's like, no, no, no. Yeah, Lieutenant Carey, not too busy scouting new ass <laughs> <laughs> to see this on his computer screen. <laughs> but Janeway wants to go check on it herself. She's, uh, she's dying to get into those Jeffrey's tubes. So she uh, volunteers to do it. And poor Admiral... Patterson has to get on hands and knees and follow. Scott, I didn't did, expect that. Don't make him get in the Jeffrey's tube, Janeway. Look at him. He's old. I feel like Janeway's trying to shed this dead weight and get some alone <laughs> time on her brand new ship, right? <laughs> no need to follow, Admiral. I've got this one myself. Do you think that uh, she's trying to like test if there's something wrong with the universe by seeing if he like disappears from reality by, by ditching him? Does anyone remember Admiral Patterson? <laughs> and they're all like, uh, yeah. ooh. <laughs> Inside the Jeffrey's tube, Seven can't disable this weapon because it is out of phase. And knowing where it is is just going to have to do for now. They'll need to figure out when this thing is at a later point. And outside the door, like everyone's very surprised that it's locked from the inside. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that there's chronoton particles Time travel Behind it It's like my college roommate coming home to the dorm room we shared At like a kind of surprise time in the middle of the day Why is this door locked? No reason <laughs> I'll be right there The very peculiar smell of chronotons <laughs> <laughs> Just hits them right in the face as soon as they open the door Yeah why do chronotons smell exactly like the lotion that is on the desk? <laughs> Why is the fan on your computer cranking at top speed? Inside, things are getting pretty intense. Seven tells whoever she's been talking to that she needs to get the hell out of there. And aboard the timeship, they're looking at graphics, depicting what's going on. On a timeship, you're just looking at dots, Right. You're looking at dots and graphs. You're not looking at pictures of people at all. Never need to look out the window. And they deduce from these dots that they got to use the time transporter to get her out of there. Yeah. And they do. They beam her out, but uh, there's like a problem with the phase or something, and they're like worried about it, you know, being bad for her health. They get her out just in time for Janeway and Patterson to not discover her in this uh, Jeffrey's tube, but... When Seven materializes on the transport pad, she immediately collapses, and the camera pushes in on Bruce McGill, horrified. She's dead, says RSVP Seven. Bruce McGill, such a welcome sight. Yeah. Love a Bruce McGill. I love that guy. Yeah. I thought we emptied out the character actor's bag uh, in the last episode? No! No! There's still one left, guys! We got a Bruce McGill in here! There are still dad bod middle-aged white guys available for this episode in Hollywood. It's so Star Trek for the curiosity of this moment to be those chronoton particles or the chronoton flux and not that the door was locked from the inside <laughs> like no one talks about that again yeah yeah there's coffee in that chronoton flux of point zero zero three. bruce mcgill tells his underling duquesne like hey uh, we're gonna have to recruit her again 
because we gotta we gotta solve this problem. We're cleaning up a mess, and uh, this is what it's gonna take. And Duquesne is like, man, that's fucked up. Like it's gonna really start to like affect her. And he's like, Tempest Fugit, baby. Yeah, this is a moment that really divides the audience, right? Right. Whose side are you on, Duquesne or Braxton? Braxton's cruelty on full display here. Willing to sacrifice Seven for this mission, a mission we don't even know about. Yeah. So we come in to the present, as it were, looking at the a POV of the doctor, and we can tell it's uh, Seven's POV because of the Matrix-like tints to the video. Uh, but it's all blurry, and she's got like double vision. Yeah. She's done that thing where she's done her own WebMD research and diagnosed herself with something really exotic. Yeah. You can't do that. No. That's bad. It's it's the classic mistake of my wife. Oh, really? I'm constantly trying to talk her out of uh, having a serious disease or me having a serious disease. I'm like, no, it's fine. It's nothing. And then, you know, you go to the doctor. And they're like, no, you were right. It's, this is bad. <laughs> Every other day she bursts into the room. Ben, I figured out what your weird dick is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> my wife burst into the room. I figured out what your generalized problems are. <laughs> WebMD had the answers, it turns out. It's never been me. It's always been you. Yeah, yeah. So the doctor injects her with something to fix her mild aphasia, and it fixes the uh, situation right up. But the doctor gets called away to Six Bay, and he kind of tut-tuts her for... Googling her symptoms. Yeah. Easy fix for the doc. Just uh, hypo spray it away. Yeah. Neck on. That's how the hypo spray works, right? <laughs> Apply directly to the neck. Neck on. Apply directly to the neck. Neck on. Apply directly to the neck. <laughs> Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. In a corridor, Paris is playing. Solitaire ping pong. <laughs> I played ping pong even when I didn't have anyone to play ping pong with. And invites Seven to play as his doubles partner that night. Yeah. This is something that she's not interested in doing until she hears that BLT will be on the side of their opponent. Interesting that uh, BLT and Paris are not a team in this context. I was confused by this too. But I guess that's sometimes the way, right? Like uh, sometimes in, in like mixed doubles, uh, people, uh, you know, turn the pineapple upside down. So in the scene that follows, we're back in BLT and Tom Paris's, I guess, shared quarters. <laughs> and BLT's like, Tom, why didn't you want to be on the same team as me? I thought that would be fun. And Paris is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this an ambush or something? I thought it was cool. Plus, the teams were randomized, and BLT's like, well, you didn't try hard enough to be on my team. Yeah. And he's like, well, we didn't talk about it, so I assume just going by the tournament rules was okay. <laughs> She's like, that's the big mistake, is that you just assumed. <laughs> you just let things happen all the time, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, the rest of the episode is just a big kind of existential relationship fight because it kind of spins out of control from there like she globalizes <laughs> that about him being like really careless and then he gets really hurt that she 
is rounding this up to like some major character flaw that he has. And it's Tom like doing a bunch of scientific research into time travel paradoxes. And he actually like distills enough chronometric particles to go back in time to the night of the ping pong draft where he he somehow fixes it so that he will be on the same team as BLT and stopping this entire horrible timeline from starting at all. Right, but then she finds out that he did that and she's like, that doesn't solve the problem, Tom. The problem is that you didn't think to do it in the first place. Score, 1918. So did you like this episode, Adam? It's like you're not listening to me. I'm telling you about my problems with the ping pong draft, not because I want you to solve them. I just want you to listen. I want you to be there for me while I'm going through a thing. So Seven is willing to be Paris's partner, and there is no drama about that moment at all from anyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, to his credit, Tom isn't weird or jealous about Harry being BLT's partner. No. And... You'd think he would be, given how promiscuous Ensign Kim has been lately. Yeah. Just from like a personal safety standpoint, you know, like, <laughs> like, Blana, who knows where that thing's been? Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who knows where he's stuck his paddle? Paris is totally obsessed with uh, the sterility of of the paddles and like <laughs> has like an 80s Reagan era understanding of how germs are passed like <laughs> like use this weird paper gasket around your paddle <laughs> BLT I don't want you catching anything from that guy Ah uh, yes extremely thin one ply paper the thing that we protect ourselves from pathogens with right. in all contexts over in Six Bay, Janeway enters the doctor's office looking absolutely bedraggled. Space sickness is the thing that's going around. Yeah. And it's sort of waved off as a thing that everyone gets from time to time. Yeah, but it's catching. It's like more than one person has had this symptom lately. It's gone airborne. Yeah. It spreads like the flu. Impossible. We cut over to like the lab part of Six Bay and someone has got like a spinner device full of vials. Like <laughs> oh, they're, yeah. they're trying to figure out like what's going on with the space sickness. Yeah. But they're like eating a sandwich at the same time. And, yeah, like, you got to pay attention <laughs> when you reach your hand into the into the centrifuge. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh boy, that busts the glove and then, and then they have it. Oh no. And if one of them gets out of Cedar Creek, Billy, then we're in deep fucking shit. Oh, this is bad. And we're already in deep fucking shit. And then Morgan Freeman is there, and he wants to turn it into some kind of bioweapon. And if you're going to arrest me, arrest me now. All right, Sam, all right. Yep. Can't trust Morgan Freeman in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great casting, because you kind of assume that you can in all cases, right? Yeah, I love that. At the ping pong tournament, Tom is going for a great big spike of the ball to Mm -hmm. absolutely crush Harry Kim for stealing his girlfriend. And uh, he hits it and the ball just like stops in midair right above the net. I love this moment because 
Seven scans it, and the scans say temporal distortions, but then the ball continues, and Neelix counts it as a point. <laughs> That's amazing. Where did Seven get that tricorder? Did she have it like in her back pocket or something? Oh, yeah. Are you allowed to play with the tricorder? Because she's in the game. Yeah. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Bad officiating from Neelix, and you know there should be a little bit more controls over whether you get to bring scanning devices to the to the tournament or not. I think it's Neelix's job to both officiate and make sure no one's bringing uh, contraband mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in there. And I think tricorders qualify. That could be a performance enhancing tricorder. Yeah, yeah. So this is the first time the crew has noticed that something may be fucky surrounding space time, <laughs> and we go down to the ass lab where. They've got a map of the ship and they're showing that space time is starting to get messed up all over the place. And they're erecting force fields around the parts of the ship that are affected. But uh, the force fields don't seem to be totally helping because at this point, Six Bay is just full of people that are experiencing this space sickness. I love the stoic professionalism of a group of people who learn that they've got two hours to live. Like... <laughs> <laughs> These breaches are going to destroy the ship, and everyone knows it. Everybody is uh, pretty much chilling the most. Like, Neelix is the one person that's got kind of an emergency attitude. He calls the doctor down to the restaurant to check on Ensign Manus, and Ensign Manus is fine. Ensign Manus is, like, doing solitaire on his laptop. Yeah. Until he isn't. I mean, Ensign Manus's laptop is facing away from the camera, so really... Who knows yeah. what could be on there? <laughs> I love this take, though. Like, this is such a great take for comedy. It's like, look at Edson Mattis. He's great. <laughs> He's ship shape. And then bonk. <laughs> he just falls right over. <laughs> the doctor uses a visual aid of the computer on the nearby replicator to show what time it is in the restaurant and what time it is in Six Bay. And it's two different times, Adam. Yeah, this is why daylight savings can't work. Can we just get all the decks on the same page, right, Ben? Right. Everyone would sleep better if Six Bay and the mess hall would just stop fooling around with the time. Yeah. That's what I think. Isn't like China all on one time zone or something like that? There's some like really big country that's like surprisingly decided to just all be on one time zone. If China does it, it's okay. That's kind of your stated position on things yeah i'm saying let's follow their lead in all things <laughs> over in the ready room chakotay tells janeway that this space-time problem is somehow getting worse than two hours to live she wasn't really on board for this until she tastes her coffee and then she's like this yeah. is a huge problem chakotay <laughs> we need to solve it Suddenly, the bar rescue voiceover guy comes on and he's like, space-time fractures have appeared all over Voyager, including the replicators, food prep, and walk-in cooler areas. <laughs> a space-time fracture is a phenomenon which the space-time continuum is distorted, <laughs> allowing unwanted travel through time. <laughs> Your employees are being asked to walk through fissures <laughs> in space-time, and you're only paying them minimum wage? What are you doing? Your server started to shift tomorrow, and they just showed up today? I don't understand how any of this works. The only way to solve this problem is to get you a new Harbor Touch POS system. These peaches haven't even been grown yet, and they already have black mold on them. Shut it down! <laughs> So Chakotay gets himself right in the middle of one of these 
space time flexes and Janeway sees it and is very concerning. <laughs> How fucking cool is Chakotay in this moment to kind of look like he doesn't feel it? And when Janeway's like, you've been caught in a rift, he's like, oh. It's expanding. <laughs> Sounds great. Let's go out to the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> Absolutely zero react from Chakotay yeah. to this. Meanwhile, BLT and Seven are back in that Jeffrey's tube and find the piece of technology, or more accurately, Seven finds the piece of technology. BLT cannot see it or detect it. What is it? A piece of technology. The Borg implants in Seven have enabled her to see this out-of-phase thing. You see Seven's point of view of the out-of-phase thing, and then she turns to... BLT and her uniform is just covered with Paris. <laughs> you probably call that plaster of Paris, don't you? Mm. <laughs> Gross. Could you say she was plastered of Paris? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Let's take a couple more runs at this, Adam. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Am I making any sense here? It'll be funny eventually. <laughs> call her laugh because Paris has plastered her. <laughs> A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. On the bridge, bangers are getting dropped everywhere. Time bangers. And in a corridor somewhere else, the time crew has boarded the ship. Yeah. Harry Kim explains that, like, the ship is starting to demolecularize because of all these temporal fluxes. And uh, there's some code tossed out about the temporal flux. And Janeway recalls this number from the readings they got when they were in dry dock five years ago. It immediately comes back to her. The chime guys grab Seven and beam out with her right before Voyager kind of comes apart in this weird blue explosion. I just love seeing ships explode. Yeah. Great sequence. It's a very different looking ship explosion than they normally do, too. Yeah. It's a time explosion. Yeah, the pieces fragment and then kind of dissolve in an unusual way. Yeah, it was cool. So when we come back, we're on the time ship Uh, presumably in the 29th century, and Captain Braxton is recruiting Seven. It's funny how a recruiting pitch that goes like, I've already recruited you successfully before, is, (laughs) you can't say no to that. You've already said yes many times. I already know what I need to say to you to get you to yes. So uh, resistance, you might say, is futile. Here's the thing about consent, Ben, Mm. is uh, even though you've said yes many times before, you're still able to say no at any point. You can withdraw it at any time. Yeah. They're trying to solve a mystery, and they need Seven's help. This is the pitch, right? There's a weapon that's made to fracture space-time. We don't know who put it there or why, but it ends up on Voyager, and they've got to kind of narrow down to a moment when Voyager engaged with the Kazon. And everyone gets a good hearty chuckle at this because, (laughs) really, the Kazon? Someone must have just taken advantage of the moment because this is clearly not a Kazon move. Right. They don't have the technology for this, but them boarding Voyager provided cover for whoever did. Right. So they're going to get Seven ready for a mission to go back to this period of time and recover the device to save Voyager to clean up the damage to the timeline that this is causing. Yeah. Yeah. And Lieutenant Duquesne is going to be kind of getting her ready for this. And so he's he's like 
quizzing her on different types of time paradoxes and talking about, uh, you know, different examples in Star Trek history of time travel. Get a little plot summary of First Contact here. They have time to do a ton of research. Like, they watch Looper. Yeah. They watch a ton of movies. I mean, she has an infinite amount of time to study for this test, right? Or does she? (laughs) We can never know. Oh, whoa. (laughs) So he equips her with a time gun and a time tricorder. (laughs) Everything just sounds cooler that way, right? Yeah. And they, like, hide her dolphin. They give her a, you know, period-appropriate garment so that she can blend in as a member of the crew. Captain Braxton gives her a license to kill. Yeah. This is a a less plausible cover than she had last time, because when they were in dry dock, she could tell people like, oh, I'm just on assignment. I I work here at Utopia Planitia. But now she's going to the stranded Voyager where, you know, it's a small town and everybody recognizes everybody. Yeah. Fortunately, all the chaos of the Kazon attack is enough to provide her a cover in the hallways. And we get some great, like, throwback space battle footage of the Kazon shooting Voyager and Seven marching around in the hallway looking for that Jeffrey's tube area where the time device is being kept. Is it important to talk about the axe that Braxton has against Janeway before sending Seven back? Because there's a there's a moment that really bumps you here. yeah. When Braxton's like, look, we've given you all the tools you need for a successful mission. All the greatest modern weapons are at your disposal. And Seven briefly says the mind is the best weapon, etc. And then, out of nowhere, Braxton just goes hard at Janeway. She's reckless. She has no regard for the integrity of the timeline. I asked for her help once. She refused. This was what made me remember who Braxton was. And it's me too. I think partly I was thrown off the scent earlier because he is recast. He was not played by Bruce McGill last time we met him, but he is the captain that got stuck in the 60s in Future's End, the double episode featuring Sarah Silverman. What's up? Is this. A show that is so confident in casting Bruce McGill as Captain Braxton that it's like, you know, if you've been unhoused for 10 or 20 years in the 20th century, it's going to change you. It'll Bruce McGill anyone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what's so stressful about modern society is that it feels like you're on footing where at any point... Like one slip up, right. one bad medical diagnosis even, and uh, you're Bruce McGill. Right, right. Which is why like- What we need is a Bruce McGill safety net, Ben. Right, and they're like trying to have this kind of punitive approach to solving the Bruce McGillification of our unhoused neighbors. And we really have to go more <laughs> services first, you know? Get them headshots, get them some auditions. Yeah. I mean, Seven's so cool about doing that thing where- There's a hothead in front of her, and she just describes something in a neutral way that does not further set off the hothead. Right. And Seven in this moment is like, yeah, you're right. Janeway can be challenging to work with. (laughs) And this totally diffuses the bomb that is Captain Braxton in this moment. Right. But this is just kind of like code for Janeway's an asshole, right? Like whenever you, uh, you hear actors on set saying, 
in an interview, you know, this other performer can be really challenging to work with. Really brought everybody's uh, A game. It's like, oh. Is it redundant to say that this scene is time foreshadowing? (laughs) Perhaps. That's the real ATM machine of of statements, right? (laughs) No sooner has Seven gone in and started messing with this device than Harry Kim detects something weird going on with time. And they're like in media dogfight with the Kazon when he reads out the temporal reading that he's getting. And Janeway recognizes it again from Space Doc. Yeah. He's like really, really on top of picking up chroniton fluxes on board the ship. Yeah, almost like he's scanning for them all the time. Yeah. But when Seven gets to the hurl in the Jeffrey's tube, that device is not there yet. Yeah. Uh-oh. She's in the wrong time. She's in the wrong time, but the right place. And those chronotons having been detected, she, you know, needs to get out of there and quick. But level 10 force fields go up and they block temporal comms. The time ship is not able to get seven back. This bumped me. Did it bump you? You've got a fucking time ship from 500 years in the future and somehow force fields are the thing that gets you? Come on. We've seen Seven like walk through force fields. Right, yeah. So Janeway arrives on scene now that they've got Seven trapped and she asks her a bunch of questions and these answers are suspicious. Yeah. And when Tuvok scans Seven and reads her as a Borgs, Oh, it's a whole thing. Ooh, that's going to be a tough one to explain. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the the cross-cutting between Captain Braxton eavesdropping and this moment here. Like, that really adds a lot of comedic tension to the scene in a fun way. Yeah, because they can hear what's going on, but Seven can't hear them. So they're hearing her attempt to dissemble and talk her way out of it without Janeway asking too many more questions. But eventually, Seven has to just, like, reveal the whole thing. Like, yeah, okay, I'm a time traveler. I've been sent to, like, get this time bomb, temporal bomb, (laughs) out of your Jeffrey's tube, but it's not there yet. We screwed up, and I just, like, really needed to, like, forget we ever had this conversation. That fun thing happens where someone says something crazy, and then it's repeated by someone else, and it sounds just as crazy. (laughs) When when Janeway says it. Yeah. But there is a very serious moment here, which I thought was really affecting. There's at the most desperate time for Seven, she appeals to Janeway's interest in trusting her, like intrinsically. There's this natural trust that Janeway has for strangers. And it was something that was extended to Seven when she first came on the ship. And this is enough to convince her to lower the force field. That combined with the threat of imminent death that Seven believes to be at stake. And Janeway, like, extends that trust? She retracts the force field and extends the trust. Right. Almost simultaneously, right? Yeah, it's like a swap. (laughs) They head back into the Jeffries tube because Seven is getting a reading that the bomb is being installed right now, moments away from them. Yeah, and they uh, they head down the tunnel, and who should turn around? But Captain Braxton? Oh, I can't believe this. Me? More accurately, a future you. I was very surprised by this. This might be uh, 
plot by numbers, like, I don't know. I fell for it. Yeah. Fell for it the whole time. It was great. It was a great twist. Yeah. I love getting two Bruce McGill's for the price of one. Oh, yeah. Do you think contractually you had to pay him extra? I think you do. Yeah. And there's a third one, too. A third one's referred to. Yeah, that's true. But don't worry. They'll all be reintegrated in time for the trial. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. So there's a classic standoff where uh, he's got the bomb activated and they've got their weapons drawn and he says, you got to put him down. He reveals that he's really got an axe to grind with Janeway. Yeah. His time as an unhoused person in L.A. was rough. Yeah. And this is like the future Braxton of future Braxton, like 29th century Braxton's future Braxton is who we're talking to here. And future of future Braxton is like, yeah, like then I had to go back to rehab after this mission because I've done so much time traveling that uh, it's it's messed me up. You know, I spent those three decades in uh, 20th century and in the 29th century, Duquesne is like, fuck, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, he like arrests future Braxton for the future crimes that, you know, feature of future Braxton is going to commit. Don't be absurd. The fact that you prevented it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. It's such an interesting scene because like I was expecting future, but not too future Braxton to want to arrest too future Braxton. As a show of of like, right? I'm not that guy. That guy's fucking nuts. Like, I'm time law and time order yeah. all the way. But instead, future of future Braxton dips out. Yeah, he beams himself away. But future Braxton successfully taken into custody, and now Duquesne is in charge of the case. And uh, he's like, "Well, he went into a different time period, but I'm not going to send you there, Seven, because that would be the fourth time travel you've done." Let me tell you a little something about a man named Yor that you don't want to end up like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Yor is in all the literature about time travel. Yeah. Really a warning to others. You're not going to like what you hear. (laughs) But Seven is like, uh, no time for backup. Or is there? No, there isn't. Beam me to the future. Who's backup? Your backup? And by the future, I mean the past. And we beam back to Voyager in Dry Dock, where Janeway is getting her tour from Admiral Patterson. And it's like a, a run and gun chase scene where she's chasing future of future Braxton down the hallway. And like Janeway and Patterson have to duck to not get shot. I love this. This is so fun. They erect force fields and future of future Braxton runs right into one. This is a chase scene that is begging for a Michael Bay shot, you know? It really is. But Seven of Nine is like too woozy to catch him initially. Yeah. Yeah. Braxton beams away again, and this time he goes five years ahead. Yeah. And Seven gives chase. It's the night of the ping pong tournament in the mess hall, and in runs Braxton. And Seven shoots Braxton and shoots him again and shoots the thing out of his hand. Shoots him a bunch, but doesn't bring him down. Braxton is made out of tough stuff. He runs out of there. Yeah. Harry Kim and Tom run after him. And Seven of Nine, who was competing in the tournament, goes and meets Undolphin Seven of Nine. And he's like, so uh, 
what gives? <laughs> What's this all about? And she's like, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> I love seven on seven here. Seven of nine to seven of nine. What's your status? I love seven and seven. <laughs> Very refreshing. Haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah. Pretty nice. Before she can get much information out of Future Seven, Future Seven is beamed back to the time ship by Duquesne. But she's confident that the crew back in the present or whatever are going to be able to stop Future of Future Braxton because his his tricorder was the key. Like he needed that to jump around in time. Right. So uh, he's not he's not going to be able to go anywhere. Back on Voyager, Braxton is cornered, but it's not by Seven, it's by Janeway. Yeah. His nemesis. He gives this whole rant about how he's lost his rank and like, you know, you don't realize how much you've ruined my life. It's a real vendetta. Yeah, because like he's he's spent like most of his career cleaning up time incursions that she's done. Yeah. And then like wound up being shamed into living this like ignominious forced retirement by her. But then like, Duquesne is going to have to clean up his mess if he succeeds in this thing, right? Right. I wonder if they thought about keeping the set from the town that Shannon O'Donnell visited (laughs) to give them another option for Braxton and his intent to murder (laughs) Janeway. Like a first contact style, like go back into the past and and stop Janeway before... Janeway can even happen. We cut over to Star Trek First Contact, the movie, uh-huh. and, <laughs> and Braxton is there sabotaging Zephram Cochran's <laughs> warp flyer. How great would that be? That would have been good. I mean, everyone loves Star Trek First Contact, but what my theory presupposes is that uh, doesn't it get a little better with Bruce McGill? Yeah. Aren't there not enough time paradoxes in it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've already paradoxed the fuck out of this episode. (laughs) So with Future of Future Braxton captured and beamed back to the 29th century by Duquesne, Janeway is talking to current day Seven. She's like, what do you think just happened? And Seven is like, I think like some kind of bad time travel shit was going down and we stopped it. And Janeway's like mid-response when she gets beamed to the time ship and gets to talk to Duquesne about what all went down. What a headache this is. Yeah. So they can reintegrate different versions of someone that have gotten split apart in time, apparently, in this future. Well, I assure you, when all this is over, there'll be just one seven of nine. That's cool. So, like, you can refer to this integration, but we don't get to see it. Yeah. I wanted to see the integration. That would have been great. Yeah. It's not all cleaned up, though. No. No, and they're going to need... One very special undercover officer to clean up the last of the mess. I get the feeling I'm about to be drafted. Because Seven's unfit for this duty. And future of future Braxton has to tell her like how to capture him yeah. when he makes it to the ship. How embarrassing does it have to be for future of future Braxton to go, yeah, like I beamed over and then I tripped over a guy. <laughs> That's how you get me. <laughs> you know, Oops. I beamed over and there was a uh, discarded banana peel right outside of Neelix's <laughs> restaurant. And uh, I go ass over tea kettle on that thing. That's pretty much the perfect moment to nab me. Yeah. Janeway goes back to Voyager during the Kazon attack when Braxton falls over. Yeah. 
and BLT sees her in the hallway and doesn't notice that she's gone from bun to bob. Yeah. Thanks for not noticing my new haircut. She's like confused that Janeway isn't on the bridge. BLT believes that Janeway has now gone into the holodeck in a canonical before a ship explodes kind of way. The crew retreats to the holodeck for the moments before death. Uh-huh. And the time Janeway wants to spend before dying is getting her hair done in a new way. Like, <laughs> finally, she'll take that risk with a new look. Mm-hmm. She's running her hollow mutt. Yeah. Just a little off the top. She's like sneaking around. She she catches future of future Braxton beaming aboard. As promised, he trips and she nabs him. He... uh can't believe she was right there to capture him when he beamed aboard. Yeah. And back in the 29th century, Duquesne is like super duper impressed with how little she messed up the timeline by doing this. Duquesne points up to the mission accomplished banner on the bridge and is like, when you're a timeship, you just keep this (laughs) up all the time because like your missions are always accomplished or going to be accomplished, or about to be accomplished. And she's like, wait, do you mean your missions are always about to be accomplished, or like your missions are about to be accomplished? Big fun ending here. Yeah, she gets kind of scolded, like, hey, knock it off with all the fucking time travel. Yeah. But uh, we're not going to wipe your memory. You're going back with your memory intact. Hey, uh, knock it off with the time travel so I don't turn into one of those Captain Braxtons. (laughs) Would love to avoid that. Yeah. And they beam away, and they time beam away, and we beam into the credits, Ben. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I think that this episode does time travel episode right, in that Mm. time travel is so silly, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It is only interesting from a story standpoint when it is a a bottle episode where it doesn't actually matter that this episode happened. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do it, do it to be an entertaining romp and like make fun of how silly time travel is because that's... That's the best reason to do it. Yeah. And, and so like, I feel like this episode does that. I feel like it doesn't take the time travel stuff too seriously and it doesn't like encode the results of time travel into the timeline too much. Mm. Like, I guess mm-hmm. the 29th century stuff is encoded into the into the universe a little bit, but it kind of already was, so right. might as well have fun with it. I liked that uh, we got to see Lieutenant Carey. I guess I, I wished we'd seen Kess, like, in the Kazon period. Whoa, what a great bringback she would have been. Yeah, but if you're going to get one, Lieutenant Carey is a fun, like, deep-cut character. And, uh, boy, having Bruce McGill on the episode, lots of fun. Yeah. How can you go wrong with a Bruce McGill? Well, I don't know. How can you, Adam? Did you like this episode? (laughs) I will agree with everything you said, and I will add to it that this is maybe the best hair episode of all time. The hair continuity, traveling forward and backwards in time. Yeah. You really need to have someone on top of that. And they most definitely were whoever's responsibility was to make sure that we had that straightened out. 
really great stuff. And it helped you understand in what time period you were just by looking at Janeway and her hair or BLT in her hair, which has also subtly gone through changes. Totally. Uh, I really liked it a lot. A romp. A romp through time. That's <laughs> what this was. Well, do you want to go on a romp through our Priority One inbox with me, Adam? Oh, yeah. Let me put on my rompers first. Yeah, do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. That message goes like this. Elon, his words compelled. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. DeSoto, his arms wide. Translation, we know a certain social media site is going downhill. It's time to join one that comes with a community. Friends of DeSoto.social on Mastodon. There you will be welcomed by fellow FODs and guided into the next generation of social media. Metaphor! (laughs) So this is a message sent to us from the Friends of DeSoto Social over on Mastodon, and you can find it by going to friendsofdesoto.social to sign up. And if you're already on Mastodon, you can uh, blow yourself out the airlock and we'll tractor you in. <laughs> I suppose you know what those words mean? Barely. I definitely don't feel like I've totally gotten my mind all the way around Mastodon, but I'm liking it a lot. And uh, I remember feeling about as confused with a certain other social media site when I was first on board. Sure. And uh, I feel like part of the fun is kind of getting the hang of it. So. I definitely endorse Friends of DeSoto.social. I've been hanging out over there, and it's a great group. Really positive, fun stuff. And uh, yeah, if you're a friend of DeSoto, go check it out. Yeah, regardless of social media, the Friends of DeSoto will make whatever place that is great. It's true. Adam, our next Priority One message is of a personal nature. It goes like this. I love TGG458 Poop Sombrero. Because my day job involves using poop sombreros to collect feces in trials of vaccines to prevent diarrhea in kids in impoverished countries. Wow! Also, fecal microbiota transplants are usually delivered through nasogastric tubes, not suppositories. Huh. Pills coming soon. Oh. Shout out to loyal FODs Dr. J.A.E. and Mrs. A.E.W. That's from Dr. E.Bob to us. What a message. Yeah, I learned so much about poo. You know, friends of DeSoto do Miriam things uh, professionally. We know that. Yeah. But our first poop doctor has written in, I love this. And what a noble cause. I mean, this is a massive uh, public health improvement that it sounds like Dr. Ebob is working on. Yeah, Dr. Ebob doing great work, but also... Hasn't cured me. (laughs) Yeah, give Adam the jab. (laughs) (laughs) Great job, Dr. Ebob. Ben, our final priority one messages from Defested, a.k.a. Jake. Messages to Les, Monica, Rizzo, Adam. That guy I didn't recognize in the lobby of the hotel. And all SFFODs everywhere. How interesting we're getting a message from Defested when we were just talking about San Francisco Sketchfest. Here's that message. Y'all are awesome, and the show was outstanding. It was an honor to see both the first and the last shows of the tour. Whoa. 
That's amazing. <laughs> and now I have a fun story of offering Ben's parents some isolinear chips without realizing who they were. They very politely declined. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, Defested. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun to see Defested out in the crowd as often as we did. Always a welcome sight at a live Greatest Gen show. I think Defested probably has the record for seeing the most double dumbass tour shows of anyone, right? Yeah. That was a great show. I think my favorite of our presentations of that show. And uh, if you're a supporter of the greatest generation you can listen to it in the bonus feed right that's the one that we released in the boco feed that's right bonus feed access is only five dollars a month and supporting us in that way not only gets you that episode but hundreds and hundreds of others it's a great value also a great value is getting a priority one message on the show it's a hundred bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message and we sure appreciate it Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I did. The moment where Captain Braxton shouts no when Seven brings up the temporal prime directive. You're from another time. Yes. No. Who sent you? When he realizes that the game is not going his way when they're stuck listening to what she's doing uh, and can't transmit code back to her because of the level 10 force fields, made me laugh out loud. I don't think Bruce McGill gets enough credit for how funny he is as an actor. Oh, I give him enough credit. I, I think he's hilarious. I think he's so funny. And uh, yeah, but he just thought he like doesn't get cast in that many like really funny roles. I, I feel like that's fair. He's cast as a straight man. And uh, I think it, I think that uh, he's really funny in this role. So uh, he's my drunk Shimoda. How about you? I mean, I was just going to give it to Bruce McGill as just a welcome sight in a Star Trek episode. Like, I don't have a a greater reason behind it. Mm-hmm. I don't have support for that decision the way you do. <laughs> I just love seeing a Bruce McGill. I mean, I'm just flipping through his credits. My God. <laughs> what a career. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, he's going to be my drunk Shimoda. Great Shimoda, Adam. I couldn't agree more. Why don't we move on to next week's episode? I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's season five, episode 24, Warhead. An alien missile with artificial intelligence takes over the doctor's systems and insists that it be allowed to complete its mission of mass destruction. Whoa. Does it feel like the stakes have become very high over the last few episodes of Voyager? Yeah, I guess they're pretty high. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Mass destruction tends to rate. Yeah. All right. I'm going over to the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. We're currently. Boy. I got to scroll a bunch of times to get down to where our, our runabout is. Square 19. That's <laughs> where it lives. Looks like we got a couple squares ahead. His eyes uncovered. Couple squares beyond that. A banger. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Okay. Would you believe I rolled a six? Tula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow. I hopped the banger. We're on square 25. Okay. We're on the third row. It's a regular old episode. That's great news. Clear squares ahead for the moment. Mm -hmm. Aside from that naked now that we could hit next time. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I could really see that happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't want to. Well, no one wants to. Fortunately, next time it's uh, just a regular old app. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing all the funny stuff posted by Friends of DeSoto, maybe on friendsofdesoto.social or on drunkshimoda.com, the Discord group, or on yeah. the Reddit sub, or on Facebook. There's lots of uh, great places to be fun on social media with this show. Use the hashtag GreatestGen and follow at GreatestTrek on all those social medias. Yeah. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly, our card daddy. Hey, where can I find the TikTok? Because you were so great at the TikTok during the Max Fun Drive. Oh, we have a Greatest Trek TikTok, but I don't think anything's been posted to it. No? I'm just at Benjamin AHR on TikTok. Oh, that was you doing that? Yeah, it was just my personal TikTok account. Okay, yeah, follow Benjamin AHR on TikTok. Yeah, maybe I'll post something else. Who knows? (laughs) Maybe I'll try one of those dances that the kids are into. Hey, Dark Materia did the music you're hearing right now, but Adam Ragusea did our theme and interstitial music and continues to make great themes for us. Can't wait to see what he whips up next. He's great. He does a YouTube cooking channel and a great podcast that we really recommend. We got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer and editor of this show, without whom this thing would just be a shambolic disaster. Yeah. With that, we will be back at you next time. With a great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, it's giving head. Generous lover. That's <laughs> that's the next episode of Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. That's great. Make it so. One, two, three. That was backwards. What the fuck are you doing? That was time travel, Ben. Time travel. All right, let's do it right. Let's let's give her a good clap. Three, two, one. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.